Welcome back to another episode of Resonate Radio's Canna Book Club. It's part two with Dr. Avery Gilbert, who explains consumer perceptions of strain differences in cannabis aroma. Dr. Avery Gilbert is a smell scientist and author. If you didn't listen to part one, get back, go back. We got a nice introduction for Dr. Avery Gilbert. But again, he's written a book called What the Nose Knows, The Science of Scent in Everyday Life. And it was just an absolute pleasure to have him here live on Clubhouse last year, back when I was still in Portugal, working on a really interesting project out southeast of Lisbon. But I digress on that. Let's get part two to you all. Consumer perceptions of strain differences in cannabis aroma. Dr. Avery Gilbert and members of the Cannabis Book Club. Here we go. We are so lucky to have Dr. Gilbert here. And Avery, if you want to maybe talk about your research, that would be awesome. Sure. Hey, thanks to all of you for a, a nice uh, dissection of the paper. It's a weird feeling having one's own work dissected like that. But uh, thanks to Casey, Corey, um, Anna, and Molly. Um, so I thought maybe I'd just shed a little light about how I got to the position of wanting to do this paper and give you some kind of behind-the-scenes um, uh, peek into why we made some of the decisions we did. I moved out to Colorado six and a half years ago. Uh, after looking around some dispensaries and sniffing around, I was just stunned by the array of different cultivar to cultivar strains, or we're calling them these days. The, the variation was amazing. Um, it struck me that it was at least as big as the olfactory variation you get in wine. Way eclipses what you see in coffee or tea. So, you know, looking at the literature, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sensory psychologist. I'm from the, the perfume, fragrance, and flavor business a uh, long way back. So I'm used to kind of measuring and having people uh, describe smells, tell me about their preferences, and so forth. Um, there wasn't a literature just on pure sensory perception of cannabis aroma, everything was chemical. And as uh, Anna pointed out, that's a very tricky slope because the most abundant molecule in a, in a formula might not be the most smelly or the most important uh, from, a, from, a, from the nose point of view. Uh, so why did I pick the things that I did pick as descriptors? Uh, basically, I scraped the odor literature, went to Leafly, went to the other websites, uh, looked at <clears throat> reviews, and tried to get a grasp on common but not crazy uh, odor descriptors that are used in, in when, when people talk about it. I avoided things like dank or keefy, which seemed to be kind of like it's saying, oh, it's cool or something. It, didn't, it wasn't really a specific sensory quality that was in play. Um, I put stuff in like strawberry because I saw all these strains called strawberry cough, strawberry this, strawberry that. I thought, well, maybe there's a strawberry involved in there. Um, tobacco, somebody questioned whether tobacco makes sense. You know, it was kind of a, a mid-range use, uh, a descriptor used in sort of the, with mi middling frequency. Um, I'm not defending it, but it was, it was there. Since then, we've done work with um, replicating this, but we dropped some of the, the more rare uh, descriptors. So things like tar, strawberry dropped out. Apple dropped out, and you can get by very nicely and replicate this kind of this set of results with just 40 descriptors. And I'm kind of happy to see that Weed Maps has now incorporated the the reduced 40 descriptor set 
as their um, filter names. So if you're looking for strains on uh, weed maps, you can pick from among 40 of ours. I think they added one that we don't have. And it works like knowledge, but you know what? I don't care. The idea was to try to get the first broad view of the landscape, the sensory landscape for cannabis, which nobody had done before. So that's why we kept it um, very wide. Um, neutral decor, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, that, that's, that's for the sensory nerds. There's a whole business out there of people that do uh, very detailed work on telling one smell from another, whether it's in food science or in perfume. And um, there's a whole set of kind of good practices that involve, you know, you don't want to have like artwork on the walls or vivid colors or something that would bias people's responses. So that's just to, to reassure the sensory nerds. You can, uh, I'm not really a decor like, expert, nor do I try like, to be. Like if, if they were sitting in a yellow room, they might pick more lemon and pineapple and mango just because those are yellow things. Maybe. Yeah, or, yeah, or they get excited, or you know, you don't want to have you know um, provocative oh, artwork yeah. on the wall that's going to give people some free associations that they're going to give you back in the in the uh, in the testing. So, also, it's I come from the the again the perfume industry where we'd ask things, we'd ask people to describe uh, different say these are colognes of perfumes, for example, and typically at the end of those tests, you ask people, well, how much would you expect to pay for a bottle of this? And, you know, so you might be getting great results back. Oh, they love it. The top notes are very engaging and it's very sophisticated. And this then, well, how much would you spend on it? Uh, you know, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Well, you know, if the client is Avon and they're selling stuff for 20, 25 bucks, bingo, they're right on the money. But if the client is Estee Lauder or Chanel, who's expecting to sell this for 80 to 120, it's a bomb. So I just, I threw that in there. I was kind of coming out of that mentality. Let's ask some kind of... Um, um, consumer-oriented questions. At the very end, Anna was talking about the um, the terpenes, and other people have been mentioning terpenes. If you'll notice, I had a very lawyerly kind of approach in the discussion to what might be the physical basis for these aroma profiles. Yeah, terpenes is what everybody defaults to, but you'll see that I say that there might be other things out there. And in fact, I had a pretty good suspicion about one of them, which is now pretty much confirmed by other research. It's that weedy ganja note, that funky pot note um, that has now been identified as 3-MBT or 3-methyl-2-butene-1-thiol. So that's your kind of, that's your skunky thiols or your sulfurous smelling uh, notes, um, usually stinky. Usually uh, you get those in a consumer product, it's bad, but of course skunk in this context is great. So that is something that uh, it's a it's a compound that's extremely potent. In other words, in very, very low concentrations, it has a big odor impact. And yet it won't, you know, unless you're looking for it on a GC, uh, FID, you know, uh, you're not going to find it. And you've got to have the standards there. It's and it also oxidizes for it's a tricky molecule to find and nail down. But that's one component of this that um, I think gives weed its characteristic odor, but that is not going to be accounted for in general uh, terpene use. Anyway, that's just some thoughts. I'm happy to answer any other questions or ideas that you might have. 
it's so awesome to have you here with us, Avery. Thanks for being here and and for adding more value to the this episode and for adding to the discussion. Um, wow, you were just saying about that chemical. Um, would that be produced from, um, or like where is that chemical originating from? Oh, good question. You know, I mean, there's a lot of genetics now and a lot of uh, um, plant metabolism work. So they know the genes that have produced the enzymes that carry along uh, the precursor compounds to the final path pathways. And uh, I don't think 3-MBT is even on the radar there. It's, it's not a terpenoid pathway. Anna can correct me on that if I'm wrong, but uh, it's, uh, it's it, this one's kind of just fallen off the radar and needs to be picked up. Um, you know, I, I, mean, can't, I can't answer that question. I'm going to write that down because, I mean, I, I haven't even been looking for that compound because everyone's been so focused on terpenes. There's um, a... There's a paper about 10 or 15 years ago, a, a wine aroma analysis paper out of Spain or Portugal. I can't remember quite which. I think it was in Portuguese wines or Spanish mm -hmm. wines. Uh, um, where, where they noticed there was this kind of defective note, and they tracked it down. And they happened to mention that it does smell like a marijuana. And, uh, yeah. And there's a, there's a couple of related compounds like that. So that's where kind of a lot of my work is these days is looking at um, – terpene formulations that might be used in consumer packaged goods, beverages, uh, foods, you know, flavorants. Uh, and the question is, how, how real do you want to be? Because if you, if you get, if your realismo factor is high enough to include um, 321 MBT, then you're going to, yeah, the weed aficionados will go for it. But I think the general public might say, ooh, that's a little weird. So... Terpenes are a much consumer-friendlier class of compounds to work with and formulate. This is Corey. That's super interesting. And there's the beer that also has that same type of note uh, from Thailand uh, that I remember opening up and smelling it. And I was like, wait a minute, this is familiar. Uh, and I learned to find that the bartender purposely gave it to me because he thought I would find a kick out of it. So uh, <laughs> that might be that s same note, Avery. It's pretty interesting. Also, again, yeah, thank you for coming uh, through. I really do appreciate it. I'm actually in Portugal right now. It's 2.30 in the morning for me. So I, I stayed awake to cover my section and make sure I was awake. I'm really uh, happy that you uh, are here kind of giving feedback. I was the definitely the one that poked fun in the decor. Um, I found that extremely funny. Uh, it was just kind of one of the de details that I just didn't expect to read. You know, like, oh, selling things. This is going to be awesome. What's going to be the best profile? And it's like, wait, decor? Where the hell did this come from? <laughs> so, it, uh, yeah, it was quite a, a kind of left field. Uh, but, you know, now you know that I actually read the paper, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I really did appreciate that. Um, I'm a cultivator, large-scale cultivator. And uh, yeah, this is a, a particular interest uh, to me. And I used to work in dispensaries. So I've seen, uh, you know, let's say uh, a sleight of hand trick 
Uh, and so, you know, I've seen people's noses do funny things, I think is the most appropriate way to put that. And uh, yeah, so this was a very interesting paper in that regard. The controls, uh, I was very interested to see if they were going to be in the same side. And it looks like it, you know, again, it paid through. So uh, yeah, very interesting paper. I Thank appreciate you, you we, putting we, in the work and doing this. So. We, we tried to, we had to kind of uh, anticipate a lot of objections. And of course, this was one of the first papers or the first, I think, to just uh, do an olfactory level analysis of cannabis variability in aroma. And, uh, you know, nobody else had touched it. And this is the thing. I'm an independent scientific consultant. And when I came out here uh, to a legal state, I was, I was thinking, well, hey, I could do this because no academic, most, most of my friends that do smell and taste research are academics. And if they do it, they lose their federal funding and their grants. And depending on where they live, they go to jail. So, I could do it, but I still tread very uh, carefully around things like, you know, we, you know, we only ask questions, have you smoked since January 1, 2014? If somebody had used uh, cannabis in Colorado before the legalization date, I didn't want to know about it. I didn't want them to implicate themselves in possibly illegal activity. So there's a lot of kind of lawyerly phrasing going on. But I think now after three or four of these studies have been published, um, uh, by my group, hopefully it'll open up and uh, we'll get some some more people involved and uh, take a, a more focused look at different parts of the problem. Avery and I do have my so we we collaborated together while I was in grad school to do another test, um, knowing the genetics and I think I've talked about that before, um, and then having people sniff it in the double blind. So I did the genetic work and picked the samples and then Avery conducted the smell study. So he doesn't even know what I gave him really. Like he, we, we, we figured out what strains we were going to use uh, based on availability and, and the differences that he found in the two clusters. Like we wanted things that smell different so that we could actually parse apart um, and figure out are people smelling things that in, in the, samples that were genetically different or was it something else so but we have written up that paper and it is supposed to be in review but this um journal that we have it in is just taking their sweet time it's you know it's uh, an odd time to be trying to publish because covid there's a lot of people that are you know it's hard to track down or you know things are just taking longer so it's out there it's coming down the, the pipeline hopefully at some point but um super fun collaborative study and avery you've even published another one right or another two uh two more we did uh, basically replicated the study you guys talked about this evening um with a slightly different methodology replicated the results then i also did a study on whether people could smell cannabis uh inside different forms of packaging and i published that in the forensics journal called science and justice and it turns out if you have a couple of buckets with notches cut in them and you have people sniff and tell you which bucket the weed is in, uh, if it's just open um, cannabis, they can easily, you know, 100% tell you which bucket. If it's inside a Ziploc baggie, they can tell you 100%. Um, if it's in a flimsy bag, like in the produce section at the grocery store, easy peasy. If you put it in double vacuum sealed plastic, like, a, you know, a Walmart uh, food preservation system, 50-50, absolute chance. So you can't smell that, despite what um, certain police officers in certain jurisdictions have claimed over time. So it's a little uh, striking a blow for a Fourth Amendment search and seizure law there. I love that. It makes me think of the next step would be like 
because you mentioned like how specific you were about the participants being at least like they've used it but like um getting like like higher up connoisseurs that have like been around their whole life and seeing like not only having their them get the profiles but like if i've always found it interesting seeing people like smell either flower or extract and then like pinpointing like the strain so if you had like a kind of like not just a list of the smells but then like see if they could like try to actually guess the strain that'd be interesting i think that's that kind of consumer oriented um sensory work is extremely important and i'm i'm a little puzzled why the industry hasn't jumped on it um you know there are some people like the woody earthy herbal and some people greatly prefer the sweet citrus pungent so what proportions of the population are they? Uh, you know, what proportion of the buying mark, uh, public are they? Uh, how strong do they feel about it? Are, there's probably an indifferent population. Any other consumer product, whether it's wine or beer, you got some people that buy on price, some people that buy on, um, you know, con alcohol content. Uh, some people are indifferent, indifferent to the aesthetics, and some people live for the aesthetics. You're, you're wine connoisseurs, you're people who just like experimenting with different... Um, micro brews you know see what what what's new I, we i don't see anybody doing that kind of work to really it's, it's consumer segmentation is the phrase for it i don't see people doing that sensory segmentation would be important i would think especially if you're going to start putting thc cbd other cannabinoids and terpenes into consumer products and consumer product formulations it's like you know why would you chase people who like cheesy diesel if they're only one percent of the market if they're a huge proportion, then it's different. But I, it seems like there's uh, not much work done there, and I'm, it continues to surprise me. It's super interesting that you say that because the company that I'm working out here for in New Jersey is very interested in in kind of chasing the female market. And we know, well, I mean, you can probably say yay or nay to this but females have different smell preferences than males and did you ever look at your data in terms of female versus male or was it or, or not and if so was there like a difference in how females perceive the smells versus males or like because i think that would be really interesting is it the females that are going for this sweet you know sweet citrus flowery smells and the boys are going for the earthy woody um smells or yeah yeah that would be very interesting um i think i did some cursory looks at sex differences in the data in the plus one paper but you know what it's all online download it and go for it <laughs> you know you're so funny <laughs> and i also have all of our raw data too right i i have to tell everybody here is like this sensory um, you know, having 55, you had more, 55 participants, each smelling 40 different, potentially 40 different aromas for, you know, 13 to 15 different strains, you end up with a shit ton of data and figuring out how to process that and boil it down into something that is digestible is no easy feat. It's not something that is like statistically straightforward. It takes some, you know, like a little bit of ingenuity to try and figure out how to 
yeah, like actually look at the data in any kind of meaningful way. And Avery, I'm sure you, I mean, you know. Well, that's why somebody was mentioning the um, the hierarchical cluster analysis. So basically, that's a good way. It's, it's one of my favorite tools for sort of condensing down a huge data set. We've got these 11 different strains with a couple of duplicates thrown in. And if you think of the, uh, you know, uh, the aroma profile of each one as being like a, a mountain, set of mountain peaks, you know, I'm looking at the Rocky Mountains while I'm sitting here. Um, so there might be big peaks on the left and lower ones on the right, and the, the range behind it has a different pattern. What this technique does that mathematically is this take the two closest ones and then look for another one that's close. And it kind of keeps adding on until it can't get any, until everything else is way different. So the fact that they split out into two very distinct clusters like that on the dendrogram, that that blew my mind. I mean, that that's a really clear result that um, I wouldn't have expected. And, you know, it's not the final be-all, end-all word on um, cultivar aroma, but I think that because we took this big-picture approach in the paper, it tells you that, you know, there's there's two two zones in the world. That's how nature's going to divvy up. Can, you know, sativa indica, I don't know, whatever, is it mercine versus this? We'll see what it consists of. But I think those are the two big zones. And uh, everything I've done since then has endorsed that. So It's, it's a great way to, um, I mean, people like choices, but, you know, we're all, we can't start with, like, all of the choices. You've got to, do you like this or this? Like, even at the optometrist, it's like, is it number one better, number two, three or four? like beer or wine, um, fruits or vegetable, like, you know, like you're often given a choice, um, even in taxonomy and you're trying to like, um, identify a plant. It's like, uh, are the flowers red or blue? If they're blue, then you go to the next step. You know what I mean? Like people are very good at making choices between two things. So I think I, I really like that it, it did happen to, fall out into two distinct clusters, two distinct aroma clusters, because then you can present people with, do you like these smells or do you like these smells? That's exactly how we do it in perfume. You know, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of, of, of brands out there. So you need to ask somebody, do you do like, uh, you know, Oriental? Do you like, you know, they don't know these words, but you you basically, there's three or four or five big categories and you give them an example of each and they'll generally say oh i like this one and maybe that one all right so you've just gotten rid of three-fifths of the world as noise and now you're focusing down so i think a sensory sort of funnel experience would be a way to guide people to um to what they like right now you can, you can throw all these words at them but that's that's kind of scattershot i think if with like you say a taxonomic guide where you say in general, would you prefer A or B? Okay, and now B1 or B2, and now B1A or B1D. Um, mm -hmm. That's how you do it, and that could, that could make for a very consumer-friendly um, and and really entry. super And really super easy for people on the other side, the salespeople, the bud tenders. Do you like this or this? Okay, you like this, so we're going to move on to these types, and then whittle it down to these types just based on sensory, because you know, you know your book, Who Knows Knows, you know what you like. You can smell something, whether it be, you know, cannabis or flowers or um, wine, you know, or beer. Like you smell some cake, pastries. I don't. I don't particularly like fruity. Um, like I don't like pie. 
but I do like cake. I could smell it and be like, yeah, I like that. Um, and right. pe pe people are pretty good at making decisions as long as they're not presented with too many options, right? Yeah, these are simple, um, simple preferences that people feel at ease expressing. And, uh, and yet they can be based on very clear empirical data, like in this paper. And so it's a way for your regular consumer to be able to communicate in a two-way um, fashion with your experts, your quality control people, your breeders, your dispensary staff. And that's what we have to get to, I think. And brand new consumers, if you hit them with, do you like indicas or sativas, they're going to be like, uh, uh, what? I have no idea. And if you don't have anything to explain to them what those things are, and especially in terms of effect, when those effects are, you know, highly variable from person to person, like how, how do you, yeah, this is such a, such a good way to um, figure out, especially for the novice, which direction you should send them in. I think so. Something interesting lately, like ever since, especially ever since COVID started, um, is dispensaries like not really allowing you to smell the product beforehand. Ugh. It's so yeah. weird. But I, since then, it's definitely gotten better. Um, I think it's also just weird and a little annoying that everything's like prepackaged by the eighth or gram or whatever. And that's kind of weird, too, because, I mean, I, I think you proved that vendors' stuff, like, strange strain, like, it's pretty consistent. But, like, I don't know. I could be smelling a sample that's been opened up a bunch of times, and it's not going to smell like what I might be buying in the pre-packaged thing. <laughs> I think the, the smell is such a key part of the consumer purchase experience in any of these kind of... Um, sensory high-end goods, whether it's whiskey, wine, beer, perfume, uh, you have to take a sniff. I mean, you go to the department store, they'll give you a spritz so you can get an idea. You know, you go to a, a, a bar, the bartender might give you, you know, a little dribble in a shot glass, just, you know, do you like this one? Or just a quick pump off the, off the uh, tap if you're looking at different beers. So I, the idea that we need to have everything sealed in these beautiful, odor-free, uh, high-end packages as you exit the dispensary it, uh, yeah, it, to me it takes away the magic and the involvement and uh not a good thing i was at a dispensary um i think it was up in breckenridge uh and they had the coolest little things they were little almost like petri dishes um with you know a sealed top but the top had both a magnifying glass and holes in the top so you could see an up close view of the bud that was in there and you could smell it and that's something that could be potentially you know like sterilized after somebody smells it and if you don't like if if the bud tender you know holds it up to their face and they smell it and they don't touch it then um you know potentially you could limit viral particle transfer or something i mean it would be figure outable and you could replace the 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 sample that's in there maybe every hour or something like they do at the deli counter um but that was that was really cool and i i agree you should be able to smell what you're buying or taste it or something and i think there's a way that, that could be done um it, do you think avery that recreating profile like terpene profiles 
um, to mimic what a strain should smell like. For example, I don't know, Blue Dream, Pineapple Kush, whatever the case may be. And then having like, or, or even just your two big clusters, having like some sort of card or spirits and you can spray it and be like, do you like this one? Or do you like this one? If they, and, and then they could choose from those two smells and then you would have sort of those your 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 different strains categorized into okay this is cluster a this is cluster b and then be able to kind of whittle it down that way without having like actually having them smell everything i don't know i kind of went off all over the place there but maybe uh, you know, yeah there's, there's, there's a hundred <laughs> different ways to make an actual method for doing that um depends on how elaborate you want to get um by the way, the, the whole contamination fear with the open product, I think you could solve it with a one-way valve and a, and a squeegee bag. You just put the bud in the bag and, you you know, one-way valve, squeeze it out. Oh, like so they it's, do with it's, coffee? The yeah. little valve thingy that they have in coffee, yeah. you squeeze it and it, and it squirts out a puff of air? Yeah. So there's just oh, yeah, that's so many ways to do that. Um, again, this is, but this, I'm not creating anything new here. This is just kind of standard scent sampling technology from the perfume industry. So I think I'm, I'm begging the weed people to kind of reach out to the other sensory industries and analogize, steal, you know, get inspired by what's out there. It's, uh, it can be done. Hey, I got to go, you guys. But thanks so much for bringing the paper up and giving it a, a wider audience. And uh, maybe we'll. It was good to talk to you, Avery. Thanks hey, for hey. coming in. Miss you. <laughs> See ya. Bye. All right. Bye. Also, Dr. Anna, I could swear that I've seen uh, like a cannabis magazine that had a freaking scratch and sniff. Some like of a their whatever strain they're th like throwing at me really yeah i don't remember which magazine it's probably like high times or something but i i would not be surprised yeah <laughs> but also there's so many people out there still who have no idea that cannabis actually can even have different smells it's uh, oh. something absolutely surreal to them um and uh, i think we're all very fortunate to have the opportunity to actually experience that um well, i think Molly, did I think we talked before? Uh, I don't know if it was in this group or another group, but people who are like new to cannabis, all they smell is like that skunky cannabis smell. That's you know that that pungent, just overwhelming weed smell, and it's not really until you get over that hump that you can start to smell the subtle nuances and the different, you know, all these different aromas that. Or, you know blow people like Avery away and, and and connoisseurs can actually say you know this has butter undertones I'm like what the hell does butter even smell like <laughs> actually like, I still don't know what butter smells like I'm really tempted to go over to my fridge and smell my butter I mean but... I definitely had um smelled not butter but there was one strain well it was one of the variations of the same strain that we've had when we did like a test with a bunch of different seed packs of three strains. And the leaves, when I ripped them off from the plant, actually smelled like 
industrial glue and the strain name was strawberry glue and I was really surprised because I have never came across any smell in cannabis that was so strong and it was not really a natural smell that you would come across like it was just so strong you know like a chemical smell almost yeah like almost like super like you know (laughs) I don't want to say gassy but it was more like something that was not like you know earthy or fruity or anything like that chemical is one of the odor descriptors that Avery has on his lexicon and it is reported quite a bit as uh, and I'm sure what you the smell that you you were talking about is different than chemical but like it's interesting that people would choose like what is a chemical smell like acetone or I'm assuming anything that just has a very pungent smell, like because when it's chemical stuff, it like tingles your. But look nose. at the odor descriptors he has. You know? Look at the odor descriptors he has, because he does. He has pungent. He has chemical. He has diesel, which I think is a chemical smell. Like what is it? What if you're gonna pick pungent as a smell? Like what is it that you're smelling that led you to pick pungent as a smell? Dr. Anna, what is leading you to ask questions after the guest leaves? That's not what we were supposed to do. (laughs) Part two. I hope you all enjoyed it. Dr. Avery Gilbert, thank you so much for joining us on Cannabook Club so we could review your paper and bring it to the masses. And thank you to all of you again for listening to another episode of Resonate Radio. Really do appreciate it. We have four more episodes coming within the next couple of weeks which means it's going to be two different authors because the conversations that we're having with these authors are long they are in depth and they're just interesting so we will bring them to you again leave a review on spotify go over to the apple to the google wherever you listen to this share the link Leave your stars, and we will see you all next time.